At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. wonderful for us to be together today on this Easter Sunday and for us to have another opportunity to open God's Word and to remember these amazing events that we think of this time of year. Now, when we think about Easter, you know, we're talking about one of the most significant, if not the most significant event in all of human history. And it got me thinking about just an experience I had a couple of years ago in February 2020. So I want you to think back to February 2020 and maybe what was happening in the world around us in February 2020. And I got together with a leadership group that I was a part of here in Norman that was meeting for a day with a group of high school juniors. And as we got together, they were having us interact about our city and a number of things. But one of the things they had us do was share what we thought was the biggest news story of our lifetimes. Now, when that question was asked, the 50-year-olds the like me all answered probably either the Murrah Building bombing for some or 9-11. Those were the two events that were, were most often shared. But when we looked to the, the high school juniors to ask what was the biggest news story of their lives, one of the things that was often repeated was the death of Kobe Bryant. Now, little did they know, little did we know, that just a few weeks from them, a news story would break that would shape the rest of their high school. But, you know, one of the things that we don't know is how will this event play out in the grand scheme of history? Sometimes there are things that are significant because of their proximity to us. Sometimes there are things that are important in one generation, but maybe not to the next. But occasionally there are events that are so significant that their repercussions are felt forever. And friends, Easter is that event, the most significant event in human history. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul says, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we don't have a hope of reconciliation with God and Christianity is worthless. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not, they have, they have perished. In other words, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no hope of life after death. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul says the resurrection is critical. It is the biggest event in history, and it sets up our hope for eternity. John Stott says it this way. He says, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. I share that with us because I don't want us to miss that this morning we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we are looking at the very heart of Christianity. This is not a secondary matter, but a primary concern and something that is full of hope for you and for me. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at the events of the resurrection through Luke's eyes as Luke writes chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Luke 24. We're going to spend our time in these 12 verses today. I'm going to read them for us, and then we'll make a few observations. Luke 24, verse 1 But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, friends, in these 12 verses, I want us to see three things this morning to help us anchor our hope to the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's the first thing we need to see? The first thing we need to see is what do we do when hope dies? What do we do when hope dies? We see this in these verses. Now, before we look at the verses, it's helpful for us to remember the week that these folks had just lived through. They had lived through quite a week. Their week had begun on Palm Sunday as Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem and and everyone was singing around him the psalms and songs of praise, believing that Jesus was the one who was going to kick out the Romans and was going to establish his kingdom. There was excitement on that Palm Sunday. But after they arrive in the city, let's advance to, to Thursday night when Jesus gathered for a supper with his disciples. And as he gathered for that supper, he, he told them that there was a, something very challenging that was coming. One of them was going to betray him, and he was going to be turned over to the hands of men. And then he began to talk about blood that was going to be spilled, and some very challenging things are said. And then that ultimately culminates in the Good Friday events of Jesus' death on the cross. And now we find ourselves on the very first Easter Sunday morning. To say that these folks had experienced a roller coaster of a week doesn't do it justice. It would be better to say it's a roller coaster of a week if the roller coaster car or train had just careened off the track. Their hope seemed to be dead and in a tomb. They had hoped that Christ was going to do all of these things, and now his body lay behind a stone. Well, what were they thinking? What were they feeling? Chapter 24, verse 1 tells us that they are headed out to the tomb very early in the morning. Why are they going on the morning of the third day? They're going on the morning of the third day because Jesus died on a Friday near sundown. Sundown Friday begins the Sabbath for a Jew, and they don't do any work on Saturday. 
And so Jesus' body is laid in the tomb, but it had not been properly prepared for burial. And so the women gathered the materials, and at first opportunity, they head out to the tomb to do what? To anoint a dead body. They didn't grab a change of clothes expecting a resurrection so that Jesus had something fresh to wear. They gathered spices because they were expecting a dead body that needed to be tended to. This is further underlined by looking at Mark's gospel in chapter 16 when he tells us what they were talking about as they were walking to the tomb. It says they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? That was their concern. Their concern was there's a big rock in front of the grave and we can't move it. How will we get inside? They didn't know, but they just wanted to be close to Jesus one more time. We further see that their hope was gone. They weren't expecting a resurrection. When we look at their reaction, when they get there and the stone is moved, rather than seeing the stone moved and going, aha, resurrection. No, it says that they were perplexed at this. Why is the stone moved? What additional tragedy has taken place? Has someone stolen his body? Not only were they Perplexed, And not only were they concerned, but also the other disciples. It wasn't just the women, but also the men. The women went to the tomb. The men stayed back. And after seeing and experiencing the events they saw at the tomb, the women went back to tell the apostles, the, the 11 and others, what they had seen. But when they share these things, the words that they shared sounded like an idle tale. That lets us know, friends, that even the apostles were not expecting a resurrection. They were expecting Jesus to still be dead in that tomb. As someone has said, we might summarize it this way, nobody was expecting nobody on that day. And so we have a moment in time where the original followers of Jesus were experiencing a sense of hopelessness. Their hope had died and been buried, and their hope had died with him, at least so they thought. And so let me ask you the question, can any of you relate to this feeling of hopelessness? Can any of you relate to a sense that, that, that we have no future or that our future is dark or bleak? I think so, and I think different things contribute to it for us. Our experiences are a little different than, than theirs, but, but the feeling we can relate to it might be because of a, a sinful lifestyle or a sinful temptation. And, and we continue to give in to that addiction to drugs or to alcohol. Or we continue to give in to that, that addiction to some sexual practice that is outside the scope of God's best for us in his direction and his word. We continue to, 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 to fall into a pattern of, of gossiping or talking behind others' backs or lying or taking from our company illegally. So we continue to fall into those practices. And, and as we sit here today, if that is what marks our life, then we have a sense of hopelessness this morning. And maybe that sense of hopelessness is further compounded by a sense that we have that, that we are somehow unlovable or unforgivable because of what we have done. In other words, because I, I've done that, because I continue to do that, because I am that, who would ever love me? And how could I ever have my sins forgiven? Certainly other people's sins, maybe they're smaller than mine, they could be forgiven, but not mine, not after what I have done. And that could lead to a sense of hopelessness. 
Or maybe it's something related to illness or death. Maybe in the last month or couple of months, the doctors looked you in the eye and told you you have so many months to live. Or a similar diagnosis was given to someone that you love, and you are just thinking about that. Or maybe it's not death. Maybe it's just illness or chronic pain that you're going to have to deal with for a long time. And as you sit here today thinking about that reality, it's like a crushing weight of hopelessness sits on you this morning. Friends, what do we do when hope dies? We have hope in this passage. And what we are reminded of is this, when hope dies, remember Christ lives. Can you say that with me? When hope dies, remember Christ lives. Now, we see this inside of these verses in an, in an amazing way laid out, laid out for us. We see in verse 2, it says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Let me ask you, why was the stone rolled away? Was the stone rolled away so that Jesus could get out? No. And why, do, why can I say that with such confidence? Because Jesus in his resurrected body is, is going to have a new relationship with doors. He's going to walk through closed, locked doors. So the stone was not moved so that Jesus could get out. Why was the stone moved? The stone was moved so the women could get in so that they could see what had happened. The resurrection was not to be a secret. It was not to be a hope. It was to be history recorded so that everybody would know that Christ had risen from the grave. We, we see this, friends, in what Warren Wiersbe says when he says the earthquake and the angel opened the tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. And the witnesses come in. We see that in 24, but Jesus is already gone, but he doesn't stay gone. Jesus is going to appear to a number of the disciples over the days ahead. He kind of makes a world tour in his time after his resurrection so that all of his followers would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was resurrected from the grave. He could have died and gone straight to heaven and just asked us to take by faith the fact that he was really resurrected. But he didn't do it that way. The stone was moved. People went in. Jesus kept meeting and interacting with others so that all of us, even today, would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, to other women, to two men on the road to Emmaus to Peter, to James, to all of the apostles, to the apostles plus Thomas who was out getting a Coke when the first time happened, to the fishermen up on the Sea of Galilee, and to many others, Jesus kept coming back again and again and again. And don't miss the significance of verse 10 where it names the women who went to the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Why does Luke include their names? Why does he include these descriptions? Because when Luke writes this gospel, these women were alive, friends. If you were living in, in Palestine, when, when you, Luke writes his gospel, you could have gone to meet them. Luke had met them. It's like, hey, you know, this is Mary Magdalene. Yeah, she lives up on Elm Street in Magdala. If you just go up on Elm, third house on the left, go ask her what she saw. Luke includes her name. Joanna, yeah, she's now in Jerusalem. She lives down Main Street there. Go, go, go see her in that little apartment above the bakery. Go check her out and ask her what she saw. 
Friends, it's history. Jesus was resurrected from the grave. The stone was moved so that we could go inside so that our hope might be founded in reality. Now, when the women go in, Jesus is already resurrected and he's gone, but there are two angels who are there to have a conversation with these women. They're described as two men in dazzling apparel, but later on in 24, they will be confirmed to be angels who show up. Angels are messengers of God, and these messengers of God have a conversation with these women. It says, and as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Why are you in a graveyard? Jesus is not dead. Why are you in this tomb? He is no longer here. They thought their hope was dead, but Jesus, their hope, was alive. And the angels reminded them of this. But then they said something really interesting. They go beyond just saying that he's resurrected, but they they say this in the latter parts of these verses. They say, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? These angels said, you know, remember Jesus talked about this. He said that he would be crucified. He said that on the third day he would rise. This is not outside of his plan. But he told you about this. He told you about this. Now, when the angels remind the women of this truth, how did they respond? Did they respond and say, no, he didn't. Jesus never said this. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered if he said there would be a cross and a resurrection. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that. I don't remember that. Nope, that's not what they said. What did they say? They said in verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remembered his words. They remembered that Jesus had talked about the crucifixion. They remembered that he had talked about the resurrection. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, I think we, we should ask this question. Why is it that the women didn't remember the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus talked about it. Last Sunday, we, we looked at a number of verses. He didn't just talk about it once. He talked about it a lot. Why is it that they didn't remember it in one moment, but when they are reminded of it by the angel, they, they quickly recall that Jesus had, in fact, talked about this? Well, I think that what happened was they had been rocked by the grief of the moment. The pain and the grief and the difficulty of Good Friday had disoriented them so they no longer saw straight. It's as if their glasses got knocked off. You know, if I take off my glasses, y'all are a little fuzzy. I can't see quite as clearly. But what's interesting is the angels come along and they remind them of this truth. It's as if they put the glasses back on these women who had been knocked about by the events of the day. And they said, don't you remember? Look clearly again at what is true. Remember what Jesus told you. And they remembered what Jesus had told them. Now, the angels on that day were messengers. They were God's messengers to these women to put their glasses back on so they could see what was really true. And friends, I believe this morning as we gather here today that we need to have our glasses readjusted. 
that maybe all of us in this room are being beaten about by this world and we are forgetting some things that are significant and true and we need to have God's word set us straight. Because if we feel like we are hopeless because of a sinful lifestyle, if we feel like we are hopeless because we feel like, you know, we're living in a, a pattern of behavior that we just cannot escape from, the temptation is too great, the pattern is too deep, I can't seem to do anything else. If that's what we feel today, we need to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to allow God's word to put glasses back on our face so that we can see clearly and know that God has made a way for us to walk away from temptation. He's made a way for us to live following him day by day and moment by moment. And that is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Friends, if you are here today and you are feeling hopeless because of a pattern of sinful behavior, be encouraged with the truth of the resurrection. Your hope is not dead because Christ is alive and he has sent his spirit to reside in the hearts of all who trust in Christ to empower us to live his life. But we also might be feeling under this pile of not lovable or not forgivable because of what we have done. Friends, if you are here today and you feel like you are not someone who can be loved because of who you are or what you have done, you need to know that there is truth that you need to reflect on again. This world may have knocked your glasses off and made you think that you are not someone who can be loved, but guess what? You can you can be loved. And we anchor that to what God has done for us in Christ. The God who created you, the God who knows you and loves every ounce of you, this God shows his love for us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you say that you are not lovable, that is not true. We are loved in Christ and if we feel like we can't be forgiven, we need to remember what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not to cleanse us from some unrighteousness, not to provide forgiveness for some of our sins, but if we confess our sins to God, we can be forgiven for all of them. And so if you are here today and you are being crushed under the hopelessness of your sin and feeling that you cannot be loved by God, you cannot be forgiven by God, may God's word put glasses on your eyes this morning and let you know that in Christ you can be forgiven. In Christ you are loved. And not only this, but what about illness and death? We feel hopeless at times because our earthly life feels like it's just in falling action. That every day we feel a little worse than the day before. You know, it, it could be acute. We could have gotten a diagnosis or someone we love could have gotten a recent diagnosis of impending doom. But I've got news for you. 
We live a life that has an amazing statistic with death. One out of one of us will die. Apart from Christ returning, our lives will end at some point. And so how can we have hope, whether our death is going to be soon or far from now? How can we have hope in Christ in light of the resurrection? Well, Jesus makes this statement in John eleven twenty five. 25. He says to, to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You see, death is coming, but there is a way to defeat death. There is one who has defeated death, and that is Jesus Christ, and his resurrection reminds us of that. So that we can have a hope if we are trusting in Christ that though we die, yet we shall live. And not only this, but even with illness. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 53, speaking of the resurrection, Paul says this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Our bodies are perishable. Our bodies are mortal. They, they will break they will fall apart. That's what they will do. And we can pray and ask God to bring restoration to our bodies in this life, and we may or may not get the answer we want. But when we look beyond this life, we find that there will come a day when we will exchange this mortal body for an immortal one, this perishable body for an imperishable one. Therefore, we can have hope even if we have chronic pain because our chronic pain, even if it goes on for 70 years, is but a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And so there is hope for us in Christ. And the events that we live through every day want to knock our glasses off and make us feel hopeless. And when that happens, we need a messenger from God to come along and to place glasses upon our face again so that we can see clearly the truth of his word. When hope dies, remember, Christ lives. But there's one other thing that I want us to see, and it has to do with how we respond to this message, how we respond to it. Well, there's a couple of different responses that I think are important for us to see. The first response is to come and believe, and the second response is to go and tell. Now, we see these responses played out for us in the 12 verses we read earlier. The first response of come and believe is anchored in Peter's response. See, the, the women come back and they say that they saw the empty tomb and they talk about how the angels had told them that Christ was resurrected and they share this. And, and the, the disciples, for the most part, responded by believing that it was an idle tale, that it wasn't real. But not all of them. One of them went to check it out, and that was Peter, who takes off and, and runs to the tomb and bends down and looks inside and sees that in, it, in fact, is empty. And he goes home and he marvels at what he had seen. And it begins the process of believing that Christ was resurrected. Friends, today as we gather May we not be people who hear of the resurrection of Jesus and just go, oh, that's nice. May we not be people that hear of the historical news of the resurrection of Jesus and say, oh, that's just an idle tale. 
But may we be people who run to the tomb and look for ourselves. Now, we don't need to go to, to Israel to see it. As a matter of fact, because the tomb is empty, it's really hard to find something that isn't there. We couldn't go there today and find it. There are some historical sites that people guess maybe it happened here or maybe it happened there. It cannot be found because the body is missing. But we can look at the real evidence of history and see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we look upon that truth and think about its significance for us. Jesus came into this world. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was resurrected. And with his resurrection, we have hope. Hope at forgiveness. Hope at eternity. Hope at immortality. Friends, as we look inside, may we too marvel and believe. For some of us that we might be encouraged to keep believing this morning as we hear these words. For others that might inspire us for the first time to recognize the historical reality of Jesus Christ, to know that he is reigning on high at this moment, and to trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. So the first response is to come and to believe. The second response, the second response is this, to go and tell. We see this response in what the women do. You know, the women come and they, they interact with these angels. What do they do next? They don't just, just go and have breakfast. They don't just go down to IHOP and sit down and go, well, that was something. No, they were so moved by what they saw and they understood that it was so significant that they could not keep that message to themselves. So they run back to the other collection of disciples and they tell them what they had seen. And that group then begins to tell everyone they see and everyone they know so that it eventually it makes it all the way to Norman, Oklahoma. Because people, when they rightly understand who Jesus is and what he has done and what is at stake, do not keep that message to ourselves. They go and they tell. And in the way that they went and told, it was as if they were taking people's glasses and they were rearranging them on their faces, and they were reminding them of what was true. Who are God's messengers today to get this word of his truth out? Dear friends, it's you and it's me. May we go to our families, to our friends, to our workplaces, to our teams, to our schools, and may we share this hope that we have in Christ. You know, if you're thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, we just shared six different verses that are encouraging. If you've got a sinful pattern that you're living into or, or you've got a feeling of, of, I can't be loved or I can't be forgiven or you're concerned about illness or death. You might not know any other verses, but we've got six now. Let's go and share those words of encouragement and hope and invite all we know to follow Christ with us, to his glory and for his honor. We see this incredible picture of response to the resurrection, of coming and believing and going and telling. Will we, like those before us, respond in similar ways? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful as we gather here today that the stone was rolled away 
We're thankful that the news of the resurrection was something that you wanted to broadcast and you wanted to transmit, not just around the world in the first century, but through time as the most significant event of all time. And Lord, we thank you that you have gotten that message to us here today. Lord, may, may we be a people who, hearing this truth, that we would stoop in to this passage and look around again and see that the tomb is empty. And may we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for our hope for all time. May we lean into you in this moment and receive the hope and the life that only you can provide. And Lord, having received that hope and that life, may we then step back from the tomb and go and tell all we know of this truth. Thank you for your word clarifying reality for us today. We pray that you would use us to share it with others to do the same. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.